Welcome. My name is Bristow, and it is not my birthday. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, actually, it's Super Bowl Sunday, and uh, so that's exciting. And um, I've got some Super Bowl celebratory balloons here. Uh, real quick, how many of you with, with ra- hands raised are going to watch the Super Bowl today? Raise your hands. Okay, and I mean even a snippet. Just tune in. How many? Raise your hand. Keep your hands up. Okay, look around. That's, that's like everybody. That's amazing. You can put your hands down. Um, you will be joining, this is crazy, 100 million Americans watching the Super Bowl in a few hours. Isn't that crazy? That's a lot of people. This is the statistic that I like, though, that, that tomorrow morning, 8 million people will call their boss, tell their boss that they're their team lost or something, and they're too sick to work, and then hang up. That's good. Eight million. That's a, I love that statistic. Um, <clears throat> okay, let me ask you one more question. How many true blue, either Chiefs fans, and I don't mean Chiefs and Broncos, or, you know, I mean, that's your team. B- Chiefs or 49ers fans are there. Raise your hands. Okay, okay. Quickly put them down. Quickly, for your own safety, put them down. That's good. Um, yeah, uh, Greg, why don't you come and take these? I, I was gonna, um, I was gonna award you with these um, these balloons, but the thing is, if we give them to you, we won't have them for next service. So just, you know, I hadn't thought it through completely, uh, but I'm I'm working it, and um, and you know me, right? So that doesn't surprise you probably. Um, I think. I think, though, think about the forest of hands that were raised before, and then just a couple, just a smattering. I think that proves my contention that the Super Bowl is about more than just the football. There's something bigger going on there. <clears throat> and I think that it's more than, than, uh, than just the commercials. I mean, the commercials are funny and all, but they're pretty predictable. I mean, you can be assured that you're going to see a talking green lizard trying to sell you car insurance a couple of times, at least. <clears throat> Halftime, that's pretty cool, actually. They do a great job with that. But, but 100 million people watching J-Lo sing. We've, we've heard, we like J-Lo, but, you know, I just think that there's more going on here. I think that why 100 million people tune in is for the snacks. I think, really, it's about the Super Bowl snacks. And I found a great website. It, it, from, from the, it's a true, true University of North Carolina, the top 10 trending Super Bowl snacks for 2020. That's amazing, right? And we can't go through them all, but I just thought we'd quickly go through the top five. If you're a Chiefs fan, there's um, Kansas City Barbecue. If you're a, if you're, there you go. If you're a, a 49ers fan, there's San Francisco Seafood. Coming in at number four is a, a bean dip with a refried bean football on it. Very nice. Coming in at number three are, are football-shaped pizza bits. Coming in at number two is another kind of dip. I don't know what kind of dip, but it's in a, a bread bowl in the shape of a football. Very nice. And coming in at number one are uh, chocolate-covered uh, strawberries in the shapes of football. Very nice. I just thought that, you know, Vineyard of the Rockies, we'd kind of help you raise the bar. If you're where I am, you know you're still, still stuck at saltines with cheese whiz on them. You know, that's, your, that's where you're really at. But um, uh, um, in a more serious vein, actually, uh, I think that there is more going on with the, the Super Bowl event in America than just the football or the, 
you know, snacks or the halftime. I think it reveals something about us, actually. I think it reveals um, a need for connectedness, both with, with our friends and family, but also culturally and, and even with the people in the, in the stadiums. I think it reveals maybe a need for a, a shared experience, maybe, and maybe even a longing for a connectedness. Now, I, I grew up, when I was a kid, I grew up in the United States, but also outside the United States. And when I uh, was an adult, I lived in the United States, but also outside of the United States for over a decade. And I know that the, 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 the lack of connectedness that I feel here isn't everywhere in the world. It's actually, it's actually kind of unique uh, to this country. And when you think about it, how this country was formed, it was formed by people who came across the oceans, left their connectedness and their systems of connectedness, their culture, their language, their traditions, their families, their friends, their tribes, whatever, and came to a land where connectedness had not yet been built. And I think that connectedness is still being built. And it's always been that way in the United States. It's interesting. In the 1830s, there was a French sociologist by the name of Alex de Tocqueville. And he said this about kind of the American experiment, the new burgeoning nation that was being built. He said, in their abundance, there's a strange melancholy. Interesting. Let's fast forward to Fort Collins 2020. How is it? that we live in one of the most desirable places in the nation. We're always on those lists of the best places to live. And at the same time, we have um, um, one of the very highest suicide rates in the nation. In their abundance, there's a strange melancholy. And that melancholy is experienced Yes, it's, it's, it's a lack of connectedness, but, but it's experienced as loneliness. It's experienced um, as depression sometimes, and it's, it's experienced as hopelessness. That's how it's experienced. But the good news of Jesus Christ is this, that, that, that no matter what you feel, your reality, if you've accepted Christ into your life, is that you are connected. You are connected vertically. You're, cre- you're connected to Christ through whom all things were created and he created you. And, and, and at the same time, you're connected horizontally with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You're organically um, um, connected. So check out this, this cool verse from um, 1 Corinthians. It says, um, but you are the body of Christ. He says it's, we're connected like a body, like a human body. And no matter what body part you are, you're connected, and each one of you is a part of it. That's good news. So what we're trying to do at Vineyard of the Rockies is this. We're trying to construct on-ramps so that that reality, being in Christ, connected with Christ and each other, becomes your experience. And so what we're gonna do is we're, we're going to bring up uh, two really good friends and and Josh and Jackie. These are people. Come on up, guys. Who who have experienced the reality of being connected to Christ and corrected, uh, connected to each other. And so, um, uh, let, let's give them a hand, Jackie Bond and Josh Kelsby. Okay, so. Um, 
I made it. <laughs> um, so um, we'll start with Jackie. Jackie, you are married with children. I am. Yeah. They're right there. Right there. There they are. <laughs> Very nice. Thanks for supporting. And you are a nurse who trains other nurses. Yes. I, I train nurses and doctors how to use lasers and yeah. all those fun things. So it keeps me busy. Yeah. Um, and you guys have been here for 10 years, and you, you joined a, a small group this fall. Yes. Um, as time had been going on, I didn't want to become the family that would come to church and then really didn't have a connection with anyone else. Mm-hmm. You know, there was actually an um, acquaintance who was talking to my husband, and he was saying that, um, he, doesn't, he doesn't go here to Vineyard, but he was saying that he was having the experience where he would go and he would leave and he had no idea who anybody was and they didn't know him. So we have been here for a little over 10 years and we did not have, we, we did not take the opportunity to become part of the group. So in your experience, what have, what's been hard about being in a small group for you? Or or you and Bill? Um, I think one of the hard things that we had to overcome was the commitment. You know, to to um, to say yes, we're going to do this, and then um, it's it was a little scary because joining like a small group, there there are some things that you just don't really want to let go of. For example. Um, they don't know me. Yeah. I don't know them. Yeah. And, you know, there's, there's some situations where you're, you're thinking, you know, in order for someone to be able to, you know, pray for me, I need to be able to reach out. And it's like, you know what? You don't know me. And <laughs> I don't know you. And I can barely take on my own stuff. I don't know if I want to take on yours. <laughs> so... <laughs> You know, it, it's kind of a kind of a, a risk jumping out. But mm-hmm. for Bill and I, the biggest thing that we had to work past mm-hmm. was childcare. You know, do they have childcare? Are they going to be safe? Um, is this going to cost me money? If it's going to cost me money, now I've got to put it in the budget. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I have it in the budget. It's like, ah, oh, I don't know if I want to do this. Lots and so of then excuses. I didn't. Yeah. You know, so. What was it that finally kind of got you through that threshold and you guys actually showed up? <laughs> um, to be completely honest, yeah. we saw that there was a small group where children were welcome and it was on a Sunday afternoon. Wow. That's and we're cool. like, yes, cool. we're going we're to yeah. do it. Yeah. And we've got a couple of those. Yeah. Two for um, the next season. Okay. And this is uh, Josh. Josh is. Married with child? Yes. Yeah, so uh, my wife, if any of you know her, is amazing. And her name is Allie. She's the pastor of kids, family, and marriage here. And uh, in case I leave suddenly, it's because uh, she's giving birth to our our first child, uh, our son. So, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're lucky to have him, you know. And he could leave at any moment, so... Just know, know that. And uh, for work, you're a therapist. Yes, I am. Uh, I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. 
Right. So for you, Josh, uh, what has been hard about small groups in your experience? Well, first, I want to uh, not be a very good listener and not, not answer your question directly. I want to just back up a little bit because I'm, I'm struck by what you said and the, the cultural moment that we find ourselves in. Um, I think we're experiencing a, a collapse of, of community. And while maybe in, in what was it, 1830, you were, you were quoting there wasn't as deep community, according to, to research, we're, we're actually going backwards. And loneliness is, is growing. Uh, one study showed that uh, in 1984, the, the number of people that had three friends uh, that they could confide, confide in, that they could really trust and share anything with, was uh, 59%. Um, and then in 2004, it had dropped to 37%. So over time, we're, we're losing uh, friends. And the, the number of people that uh, had no friends, no one that they trusted, uh, no one that they could really share anything with, uh, was 10% in 1984 and moved uh, up to 25% in 2004. So... If we are at all normative, then at least a quarter of the people here feel like there's no one that I, I really know and trust that deeply. And you, you've seen that in your practice? It's, it's commonplace. Um, so much so that uh, I think it, it's almost like we can feel like it's normal. Like mm. that not really knowing and trusting people deeply is, is a normal and everyday thing. So I'll, I'll now try to answer your, okay. your original Th- question. Thanks, thanks for that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I did remember. Yeah, um, thank you. And the, you know, it's right there. So that <laughs> that helps. Um, I really resonated with with what Jackie said that it uh, requires commitment. I think it's it's a process, right? You don't just come to to know someone quickly and uh, and trust them quickly. Like my first date with Allie was amazing but we didn't get married that day, um, right? It, it's a process and it takes time. And so then, then I find myself like, I have to commit to this. And that requires faith of, of giving over time and showing up. And then there's, there's real risk in that to where um, I could experience rejection. I could have people not interested back uh, in me or, or betrayal. I think if, if we're... Uh, showing up, really, uh, over time, there's going to be conflict. But even, like, that assumes we're showing up. Um, I think Sunday morning is amazing. Thank you for being here. Otherwise, we'd yeah. be talking to no one. <laughs> to empty room. Um, but it's, it's not, uh, like, community. It's not yeah. deep community. Yeah. I think it's... It's, there's worship, there's uh, preaching, there's prayer, and that is essential. Um, but it's not what can happen in, in a small group. Um, and so until we take that commitment to invest in, in being known deeply by others and, uh, and knowing them, and like Jackie was saying, like, I don't know if I want to trust you with, with yeah. my stuff yeah. or, or really uh, care and, and risk to know your story, we're, we're not going to get there. Yeah. That's what's, that's what's hard about being in a small group. Um, so that's a, that's a great segue. That, uh, it's just so compelling. Like, oh, that's where the change happens. You know? We can come up and pray, but get prayer, but uh, 
the change happens in that context then. Well, yeah, it's a transition from uh, Sunday morning, if we just show up and don't go to a small group during, during the week or Sunday afternoon, yeah. uh, then it can feel like a crowd, right? Where we don't really know people and we're not known, known by others. But if you, if you flip that and you're going to small groups, I've, I've found like then Sunday morning becomes like a vibrant place. It's not mm. like a lonely place yeah. because I know people yeah. and I'm looking forward to, to seeing them and, yeah. and connecting even more. Yeah, Jackie, that happened to you and Bill, right? I mean, it changed, it changed things. Oh, yeah. It, on, in, it, the, in the big group, even. It did. It, yeah. um, it, was, it was really wonderful, you just, just, just for the soul to be able to come, and I, I can see people that I recognize, you know, as compared to just coming in and then leaving. Yeah. But it also opened up the ability to um, establish friendships. Yeah. And to be able to feel that there is somebody else, you know, trying to right. do the adulting thing <laughs> and the parenting thing and just life. Yeah, yeah. You know, we, we get this impression that we're supposed to do this by ourselves. Right. And that if we have to ask for help, then something is inherently wrong, that we didn't do something um, correctly. Yeah. And, you know, I just, I even just had a, um, an experience a couple weeks ago. I, I needed to have a procedure done on my hip. And the time that they wanted me to be down to Loveland for this procedure, it just did not go with life at all. I was wondering, okay, who's going to get child one and who's going to get child two and how is this going to work out? And Bill wasn't able to take off work and... You know, I, I had no idea what I was going to do. And I actually said, I guess I'll call Uber, you know, <laughs> to pick me up from my house to get me to where I need to be. And then it hit me. Yeah. There was someone in my small group who happened to be an Uber driver. But I called him and I said, or I texted him and I said, is there any way that you would be able to get me to Loveland? <laughs> I live in Fort Collins here. And I felt really uncomfortable, so uncomfortable, you know, because as a nurse, there, there are certain things that, that we just pride ourselves on, efficiency, organization, you know, all those. And to me, that was completely out. And he came back with, absolutely, yep. you know, and so there, there was that, that connection. Mm -hmm. And he was able to pray for me. And he, nice. you know, um, he mm -hmm. followed up and asked, how are you doing? Things like that. That Family. wouldn't have just That's come awesome. just, no. you know, it's, if there it's hadn't there, been It's there or it's not there. Well, let's, let's move to our second question. Um, how have small groups changed you personally? I think the biggest, the biggest way, there's many, but one of the ones that just sticks with me is it's changed my prayer life, and it's also changed the way I, I see servant leadership. When I, was, when I was going to school, I went to a Jesuit university. I'm not Catholic, but the Jesuits are really, really big into, um, like, how can we be in the community? How can we serve the community? How can we serve others? How ought we to live? Things like that. But servant leadership had become a really big part of me. And it's not 
putting yourself out there where you're going to be abused and misused or misused and things like that. It's how may I help you? How can I be of service to you? And I was thinking for the longest period of time that it had nothing to do with my personal life and things that were, you know, in my, my current sphere. I thought it was more lofty, like this has to be to like your work situation or community service or th something like that. But then I started to realize that I can take that and apply it toward the small group, to the people that I'm beginning to build relationship with. And then I realized I can do that toward my kids. You know, how, how will I best be able to serve them? And then on the last part of it, how can I serve or work with my husband? Sometimes that can be a challenge. So yeah. it really it really helps yeah. that. And then listen the up prayer. guys, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah, that's you know, awesome. it was it was in that yeah. that moment that mm -hmm. I realized that it's it's more yeah. it's more personal, yeah. you know, it's it's there. I like how there's kind of a deepening of life itself. I'm hearing yeah. a, a deeper, richer life that's that's possible. You want to change. Josh, um how have small groups um, changed your life? I think they've, they've transformed my life. Um, I, I used to be a very fearful person. Um, I had a lot of anxiety, and I was afraid of, of what other people thought of me. Um, and I really lived out of that fear, but, but so much so I wasn't even very aware of it. It was like the the air I, I breathe. It was just normal for me to have high anxiety. Um, like what I'm doing right now, I would have never done. Uh, and that's, that's no offense to any of you. Uh, I just would have been too terrified uh, to, to do it. Um, and it wasn't until I was in uh, a small group that really was living out uh, their faith in an authentic way, that they were being like really real. They were talking about things like uh, their sexual abuse, uh, things like trauma that they had experienced, conflict in their marriage, uh, addiction, pornography, the things that maybe, well, that I didn't really hear, uh, say, on a Sunday morning. I didn't hear people talking about that, let alone in my, in my friendships. Um, it wasn't until I was in a small group where people were being really real that it like it opened a, a door for me, and it, it gave me permission to to open up and be be real and share share my experience. Yeah. And out of that, uh, I mean, that was like the most terrifying thing I had ever done. Um, but it all it just it brought healing. Um, and one of the surprising things is it it uh, influenced my career choices yeah. because I I didn't know what I wanted to be be when I grew up, uh, so to speak, 12 years ago. Um, and I think I would go so far as to say, like, I, I was just, I knew Jesus, and I knew I was loved, but I was in many ways uh, lost. I didn't have uh, hope. And I, I just got into, into a season of life where I was depressed, and um, 
a very real option for me was uh, to take my life. Um, mm. My uncle uh, committed suicide when I was young, and I just was believing the lies of, uh, of my shame. And uh, it wasn't until I, I really chose to open up to other people and take that risk um, and experience God's love through them uh, that that I went from hating myself um, and and living just with with fear every day um, and coping in really unhealthy ways and uh, hurting people around me um, that uh, yeah experiencing God's love just through people yeah. right over yeah. time it didn't happen overnight um, yeah. but but that opened me up to uh, I don't remember exactly when it was, like six, seven years ago, I looked in the mirror and realized I like myself. Like, yeah. I like yeah. who I see. And so I've grown in, in peace um, and in courage. One thing, like, w- I grew up really not knowing uh, the value of, of uh, knowing myself and talking about my feelings. It, it was kind of like that's not a masculine or a manly thing to do. That's, that's yeah. kind of weakness. And no one ever said that to me. It's just uh, kind of the meaning that, that I took uh, growing up. And um, it wasn't really modeled for that uh, for me, even though I never questioned like my parents' love. And I, I felt like I, I grew up in a loving home. Um, but it was out of, out of really being known by others and... Mm and risking and confessing my sin mm. that I experienced uh, that kind of freedom and, and, and breakthrough to where now I see uh, like sharing my emotions and my feelings uh, as, as a strength. Um, yeah. And if I'm not wanting to do that, then I'm, I'm probably avoiding something. Yeah. I, yeah wow. Um, I just, I'm, I'm convicted myself that, you know, I haven't I haven't done the hard work that you've done, and um, there's a rich there's like a richness six, six years of therapy and yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and big bills <laughs> there's that but I think it uh, we can also discount what what we've done um, but and it's hard to sometimes see see the growth um, for for some of us maybe we're in in community and we're committed uh, to small groups but I think. Something that can prevent uh, growing deeper is just the consumeristic mm-hmm. culture. Like yeah. we, we were talking about, like you were talking about earlier, um, we, can, we can ask questions of the church, like, what can you do for me? Like, is this small group going to serve uh, my needs? Um, how will this work with, with my schedule? And those aren't, they're not bad questions, um, but I think there's there's better questions. Another perspective we can have is uh, maybe not being a consumer, but being more of a critic. Right? We're good at analyzing, and so we kind of stay at a distance by asking, like, "Well, how could this be better? Or what's what's wrong with this? Or what's missing?" And those again aren't bad questions, but having a posture of of being a participant um, or being a creator of of community is asking questions like, uh, who can I serve today? Who, yeah. who can I encourage? Uh, and asking God, like, uh, bring someone to me today um, that, 
that I can, I can serve. Mm. And that, that flips it to where then we're, we're participating, we're engaging, and seeing in the opportunity. Uh, we're modeling that for other people in small ways, and then yeah. it gets returned. Yeah. Yeah. Just like Jackie was, was saying. Wow, that's some compelling stuff. Let's give him a hand. Thank you guys for sharing. You guys can. Um, yeah, I just think uh, something happens in a context of small groups that can't happen anywhere else. And, and my takeaway is that change is possible. I mean, it was right here. And some of you may have been coming, like, like uh, Bill and Jackie, you know, for 10 years, and you haven't actually made that, made that jump where, you know, really the Christian community opens up to you. Uh, but it's also the context for serious, serious change. And that's good news, isn't it?